when you go back into the real world, and as you say, this is going to be over someday, that real world, we had the benefit of this crisis as the practice field. I think there's more richness to not just call it a crisis of uncertainty, but look at specifically what have we done in this time and what is it that we want to nurture going through? And just to think about how do you take those conditions, those qualities of nurturing and continue to plant those seeds. That's Gordon Rodeau, who leads Oliver Wyman's organizational effectiveness practice. Gordon's here to discuss how leaders during the COVID-19 pandemic can turn panic into productivity. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For our strategic advice and expertise on what healthcare industry stakeholders should do in response to COVID-19, read our online healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health at health.oliverwyman.com and follow us on Twitter at OWHealthEditor. Check out our show notes to read Gordon's coronavirus perspective called The Psychology of Leading in Uncertain Times. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I'm Sam Glick, partner in the Health and Life Sciences practice here at Oliver Wyman. Today, I'm delighted to be having a conversation with Gordon Rudo, a partner here in our health and life sciences business, as well as our organizational effectiveness practice. Gordon spends his time uh, coaching senior leaders and organizations and helping them uh, become better, more productive places that are more supportive of their teams. And I'm delighted to have him here today to share his insights. Gordon, welcome to the show. Always a thrill to chat with you, Sam. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, Gordon, you uh, you wrote an article that's gotten uh, that's gotten some attention called "The Psychology of Leading in Uncertain Times," and these are uh, certainly uncertain times. I've probably heard people use the word "unprecedented" an unprecedented number of times. I saw an email over the weekend that came from <laughs> Corn Ferry that referred to this time as "business as unusual," um, and so thinking a lot about psychology of leading in uncertain times. You lay out three ways um, that leaders can take what is a scary, anxiety-inducing, difficult time uh, and actually make it productive. What are those three ways? So in the article, I begin for leaders uh, with themselves. And I think this is the starting point for any crisis situation, any uncertain time. Uh, we have to look at how are we behaving? How are we thinking? What is our mental model, our worldview, our, our degree of presence and level-headedness in the situation? Uh, there's a, a common frame that we use in organizational work uh, called fractaling. And it's a, just a recognition that at the top of an organization, our energy, our mindset, our beliefs, uh, the way that we orient in the world magnifies as you go down into an organization. So if we are overly anxious, if we are overly worried about the business, uh, and we say everything's fine, but people feel that anxiety beneath our words, they're going to feel it with increased uh, concern as you go deeper into the organization with less understanding of the implications or or the causes. So the first piece I talk about is mindfulness and, and sort of that preparation that we need to do. Uh, the second piece, and we'll just go quickly through those, uh, is about empathy. It's about listening deeply to the concerns and, and needs, the ambitions, the fears of your constituents, and to really navigate your way through that by being a, somewhat of an empty vessel on your mindfulness work so that you can really hear and perceive those things objectively. 
Uh, and then just addressing what you can so we can dive into sort of the practice number two about audiences and concerns. And the third piece is where I'm getting a lot of questions and a lot of feedback uh, on the article of, oh, how do you do this? Uh, which is really setting forth bigger challenges for the organization. And you have teams, some at the very top of an organization that are keeping lights on, that are in triage mode, and they need to do what they're doing. But there's a lot of other groups of people in the company, and typically as you go deeper to the front line, that want in on the game. They want to help, they want to be constructive, and they don't know how. And if the executives are too caught in their mindset or, or too lost in navigating the fears, then they're not seeing the opportunity uh, with the broad parts of the organization that that want to weigh in or or contribute in different ways. So setting forth sprints and challenges and projects in ways that are actually critical to the future of the organization. Um, it's hard to see in moments of crisis, but it's really important to to set forth those opportunities. So when you mention mindfulness, I think of taking a break, reflecting something that is uh, almost luxurious and relaxing. And it seems the opposite of what our instincts are in a crisis like this, which are to jump in, do as much as possible, you know, be in the be in the flow of things and really be available 24-7. Why is mindfulness so important now? And how do we how do we as leaders kind of counter that instinct yeah. to go into crisis mode? It's such an interesting paradox of the human mind, right? We have this chemistry that allows us to, in a moment of crisis, to jump and have in some ways, sort of superhuman strength, right? We have this cortisol kicking in and we have this ability to move and to take action. We have our adrenaline kicking in so we can have energy that that powers us through that moment. But if we're doing those things and allowing those chemicals to kick in and, and uh, as you say, just roll up our sleeves and, and do what's in front of us, then what what are we leaving in our wake? And how are people feeling as we're we're taking those actions. So in in certain situations, you do want to just jump in and help and you don't want to overthink things. But I am encouraging leaders in this moment to really think about what they're putting into the world and is their action really the thoughtful action? Is it the mindful action? Is it the thing that's going to be not just in the moment dealing with the urgency? But have the the long term implications to the culture, to the conditions, or to people's lives that we intend to. So, as you say, you know, a couple deep breaths that doesn't take a whole long, you know, a whole long period of time to just sit and say, okay, I'm about to have a conversation with a colleague, and before Mary walks into my office or gets onto my Zoom screen today. You know, what's Mary going through right now? What do I understand about Mary's life? Whoa. She's been locked in this apartment for a couple of weeks now. She doesn't have the compensation that she expected this year based on the circumstances that she's in, whatever it might be. Just to reflect, you know, who is this person? What am I hoping to get across in this conversation? Where is that person sitting right now? That kind of mindfulness in dealing with other humans right now. I think is really important, not just with your colleagues, but with your families, with uh, with your communities. So yeah, it doesn't need to be exhaustive and meditate under a tree for hours. But yes, I think it's it's a good thing to take a moment and breathe and ask yourself some questions. Yeah. Talk to me about, assuming we've done that and gotten grounded about the, the small sprints a little bit more. It can feel like sometimes everybody's working uh, as much as is possible. And the reality of this crisis is that 
while conditions may change and we move um, closer to a place where we may have some sort of treatment or vaccine or immunity, that that work is likely to be pretty different, uh, at least for some period of time for many people. What are the small sprints, and and how do you how do you keep the whole thing from feeling like a sprint? Yeah, good question. And again, we'll we'll balance between the urgent and the important in a conversation like this. So if you think about a sprint that would be meaningful right now, if you are in a function like HR or L and D, to ask yourself the question, uh, you know, what are we learning about this remote world? What's what's happening? What would be a solution set or how might these changes of a remote environment impact the way that we train our employees? And you can have a team of people investigate companies who've done distance learning or remote training for some periods of time. You could look at cultures that have been operating in these remote conditions because of the nature of their industry. You could look at adult learning technologies and, and what's advanced in the last couple months or years. Um, you can ask your people and go through some investigation and, and finding out what are the learning preferences as they're changing in this COVID era. I mean, getting people on a sprint that investigates what is the future of dot, 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 some aspect of our organization that is likely going to go through some long-term changes. Those are meaningful sprints right now. And it's, again, it's not the the triage sprint. People need to be doing that. I don't want to take anything away uh, and, and make it sound like these luxurious long-term thinking or the ur- important over the urgent is what everyone should be doing. Uh, there are certain teams that need to keep the lights on and we need to give them the space to do that. But if you're asking about how do you challenge the organization, um, that's certainly one of the ways I would challenge the organization to learn right now, because in many ways, as much as this is a, a global pandemic with uh, economic implications, as you say, that are unprecedented. In some ways, this could be a, a test. You know, this could be a pilot. We might have something that is more severe in death counts or more severe in terms of its complexity to solve um, that comes. And, and what are we learning from this that's going to prepare us, whether it's another pandemic or any other type of natural crisis or unnatural crisis that hits our organization? I think it's a great time to investigate what's working, what's not working. Do you have any examples of that, places that are leading and learning well? Um, Well, sure. I mean, several of our clients right now, um, you're probably aware of some of these cases as well, where they're looking at a couple of our finance clients have have called in recently. They're looking at this is the best time to train our people. Um, They can't do business as usual. They're at home. This is a time to sharpen their skills. So we're getting all types of calls can you train our our leaders in in X, Y, and Z? So so certainly this is a, an area of training and development. Uh, one of our clients that is going through some significant strategic change, a uh, shift of their business processes, is saying this is the time to do the the internal work. You know, th- this is not the time that we're in urgent client situations where our client interaction has gone down by a significant portion. So why don't we fix? some of those fundamental issues in our hiring processes, in some of the ways that we engage across teams and our building of technology that has not rolled out effectively. So we're seeing this in in many of our, our large organizations and even our biotechs right now are ramping up and saying, you know, can we get our drugs out faster? And you're watching the bureaucracy between divisions start melting away, some of the red tape that has always been there uh, being ignored in really healthy ways. So, you know, you're, you're watching 
something very interesting right now. Just a quick side metaphor to this uh, or a case that I always found to be interesting is with my energy clients. Um, in storms, uh, these energy companies do extraordinary things. They meet client needs in a way that they don't all year long. Uh, the way that they work together internally um, reduces all the friction that is inherent in these big bureaucracies. And then the question that we've always asked ourselves is how do you take these storm behaviors and make them the norm? So I think that's a, a big part of what we're getting at right now is we're watching these quote unquote storm behaviors or these crisis behaviors and people rising up in the way that they lead and the way that they organize and and the boundaries, man, we are seeing such a shift between the boundaries of companies, boundaries of departments. They're just dissolving. People are doing whatever needs to get done to serve their clients, to serve their people, to serve the world. Um, and we have to bottle that. We have to figure out how do we do that? So we are seeing a lot of that effort happening with our clients, but I would ask uh, more of them to lift to that meta level and not just do the work that's uh, extraordinary and that's great, but also learn how is it extraordinary and how do we create those conditions so it's not just in crisis and storms that we operate at our best. So Gordon, this is, this is a time in which many employees are going to be in tough situations that the leaders of their organizations simply can't control. I think of the hospitals with which I work, um, and they don't have enough personal protective equipment, and it's not for lack of trying. They just can't get enough right now. Or hotels or airlines or cruise ships who, that are having to lay off employees um, because of the economic situation and because of demand, not because of any mistake the leader made. And we've all seen the headlines. In some places, those tough situations are being rallied around and we see a real team spirit and um, the workforce is feeling like they're one with the organization. And in other places, we see walkouts and complaints and um and negativity towards leadership as a result of a situation that leadership might not be able to control. Yeah. What do you think is the difference between those types of organizations? And for those who are listening, who are leaders and may have to, have to make some tough decisions that uh, they really can't control, how do they help people feel like they're part of the team as opposed to having something bad done to them? This is a really tricky one. Again, in unprecedented times, I can't sit here on a podcast and, and have the answers of how to deal effectively with all of these uh, companies and these industries. I mean, we have a lot of airline clients, which we're going to have um, just a lot of empathy for right now and a lot of support coming into this next quarter or two of how they're going to revive themselves. I'll, I'll just give a case example, though. And I'll brag about our CEO. Um, so our CEO of our company at Oliver Wyman is Scott McDonald, and he works for a guy named Dan Glazer. And both of these individuals, I, I can't speak highly enough of right now. What they've both done to our organization, with our organization, uh, is extraordinary. Uh, Dan started off, and he had a video uh, to our employees uh, just a few weeks ago, maybe about two weeks ago. And I sat here at home watching this video and I literally, uh, I'm saying this on a podcast, I literally wept. Um, you know, Dan assured us that during this COVID time, no one's going to lose their job. And as a public company, 
uh, he's got a, a tremendous role to play with our shareholders and with the street. And um, in many ways, the smart thing would be to to cut here and there, or certainly to look at cost containment. And they're and they're doing a lot of that work. But to assure us all that during this time, our jobs are safe. And then Scott, our CEO, working for Dan, having the ability to say to all of us and Oliver Wyman that he is going to not look at billable hours in the same way, and he's going to support us to get through this time together, and we're going to work in the ways that he's highlighting we're working today. And the stories are inspiring. The leadership is um, just really important right now to give us the stability and the psychological safety. So when you talk about what would make an organization have employees with a walkout or employees like we have in our organization that are going far beyond the call of duty on a regular basis, recognizing for many of us that our compensation will likely not be the same at the end of the year, but we're still pouring it out in a way that, um, you know, just gives me chills on a daily basis watching people like you, Sam, and watching the HLS team, you know, pounding out on a daily basis models that are more accurate than what's in the street right now and finding out county by county how the hospital beds are and working tirelessly. I mean, the kind of energy that you get from your people when you're a leader who gives that safety, gives that security and works side by side with you. Um, you're going to get something different. So the ones that are going to walk outs, I can't say that it's poor leadership. It might be an industry issue that no matter what they say, they know that they're going to be in a world of hurt coming out of this. And the degree of uncertainty is beyond what a CEO can assure you. Um, but I'd say that the the work to be done right now and the terminology of psychological safety that I said a couple of times is a frame that we use in our field um, carefully and thoughtfully. Um, giving people the conditions that allow them to bring their best forward, that allows them to stretch beyond uh, their comfort zones. Um, That's essential right now if you want to have a kind of organization that can perform effectively in this environment. Yeah, it's been a really proud time to work here. And I appreciate the compliment, but also just extraordinarily... um, I think, motivated and inspired by what our colleagues are doing. And it creates this kind of flywheel effect when you when you show up every day and are inspired not just by leaders, but by your peers. You mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, particularly thinking about utilities during storms, but um, there has been a level of energy and I think a level of collaboration and support at Oliver Wyman, at MMC, at many of my clients' organizations, um, it's different. It's really different than what we see normally. Mm-hmm. Um, this will all be over at some point. How do you bottle that up? How do you keep that? How, how as a leader, should somebody be thinking about um, keeping all the good things that came out of this crisis going? That is the million dollar question, right? You leave vacation with your wife and your kids and you're all so nice to each other. Everyone was playing effectively as kids, you know, when they fight at home and you're being loving in a way that you haven't and everything's, you know, hunky-dory. And then you get home and, you know, how do you keep, as we described, leaving Hawaii, the aloha spirit alive, right? Um, so it's a challenge that we have in any number of situations, uh, I'd say in this particular one, a couple points of advice. One is very specific reinforcement. 
when you reinforce behaviors of what worked effectively, it needs specificity. So one of the things that we'd say is, you know, think about what actually worked. So the HLS team did what? What what made you guys fire on all cylinders? What was the energy? Who led it? What was the dynamic? What was the specific thing that was the seed, was the fruit, and sort of investigate that? What was the impact of that to the organization? And and really think about from the specifics of it, what was the the ramifications? What were the impacts to it? And then what would be your advice to others? How do you take that counsel and move with it? So um, thinking about that sort of loop from specific to the impact to the reinforced action would be something that we'd say. The other thing to consider is to actually define a new set of values or operating principles or guiding principles or you know any sort of definition and ratification of behavior we would advise, right? So when we looked at the storm behaviors, we analyzed them. We talked to a variety of people that were out in the field that were living in sales or service that overcome these bureaucracies. And we said, what was it specifically? And then we defined that into a set of operating behaviors. And and you name them, you know, the storm behaviors, the crisis behaviors, the, the what does it look like at when we're at our best behaviors? You know, you don't have to um, get rid of the corporate values, um, but you can look at what were the behaviors that were expressions of those values or complementary to those values that really worked uh, during this period of time. So I think this idea of, of the specific reinforcement about the definition and reinforcement of a set of, of values or operating behaviors, um, and to really think about this as a practice field, right? You know, when when you go back into the real world, and as you say, this is going to be over someday, that, re- that real world, um, we had the benefit of this crisis, I guess, you know, as the practice field, uh, I think there's more richness to not just call it a crisis of uncertainty, but look at specifically, what have we done in this time? And what is it that we want to nurture going through? And, and just to think about, you know, how do you take those conditions, those qualities of nurturing and continue to plant those seeds? That's great. I sure, I sure hope we can do that. I think that would be uh, a major silver lining to this crisis. And, and hopefully, you know, if we're in a place where the economy is in a tough spot and um, we're we're having to make hard decisions in business, having that kind of robust organization that's that's made a step forward will make it all that much easier. Gordon, what, one last question, and I'm going to change my my typical question given the situation. If you had one piece of advice for leaders out there who are trying to lead their organizations through unprecedented times. What would it be? Wow. Get me down to one, huh? Um, one, one, th- one thing they can go away and do this week, this month, coming out of this conversation. Okay. Well, if I had to distill it to the very top, and I'm probably going to kick myself in five minutes because something else will, will come to the surface for me. But I'm going to stick with my tried and true. And in a moment like this, I think this is really the, the work of the work. It's really to get out of our own way and to empathize. And when we talk about empathy, empathy is a practice. And we know from studying the nature of empathy that if you are a doctor and you are a more empathetic doctor than the person right next to you dealing with a patient with the same illness, that that person that you are serving will likely recover faster 
from a common cold, from anxiety and depression. We've seen this in studies. So empathy is not this soft thing that is just feeling someone else's feelings. It's no, it's operating in a way that incorporates that deep insight, that understanding of how other people feel and, and sort of being in a way that maximizes or, or generates the conditions that supports the best self um, with the humans around you. So the idea of empathy as a leader, um, if you want to create a policy, if you want to define a strategy, if you want to operate in a different way, you need to know what your starting point is. You need to know how people feel. You have to really understand your landscape. So I'd say the one piece of advice is to get out of your own way, to get present to those around you, to have a deep sense of empathy to your team, to the teams around you, to the organization that surrounds all of you, you know, your organization and, and the organizations that you support or even your clients. And to really set yourself in a place where you can understand what you need to do and who you need to be and how you need to policy and strategize and to support uh, the very best in the people around you. So I'd start with the classic of empathetic leadership is necessary right now, but it's certainly not uh, just a code for crisis. It's what you need to do and best leaders do on a regular basis. Sounds like great advice. And I'm going to try and take it myself this next week. Gordon Rudo, thank you very much, my friend. Uh, great to have you on the podcast. And I hope we'll do this again soon. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's show, we invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified whenever a new episode goes live. For more information, follow us on Twitter at OWHealthEditor and visit our online healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health at health.oliverwyman.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time.